Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Future is Female. This is your host, Ruffin. Today, I'm chatting with Tiffany Faith Demers all about her journey building Upkeep Beauty, the trusted way to book your Botox, facial, and other med spa needs. Upkeep is backed by notable investors, including Mr. Beast Venture Arm, Night Ventures, In this episode, we talked about everything from new trends in the beauty space like Morpheus 8 to how Tiffany successfully broke into medtech without a Harvard or Stanford degree. I can't wait to share, so let's get started. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to the show. So excited to finally meet you. Um, Do you want to just start off by sharing a little bit about who you are and what your business is? Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm Tiffany Demers, founder and CEO of Upkeep, which is a marketplace for the medical aesthetics category. Amazing. And before we get into a lot about what Upkeep upkeep is can you share your career background like what you did before going on this entrepreneurial journey and how you ended up starting the business yeah so my previous role i was director of north america at matrix in london where we manufactured color cosmetics and skincare for luxury brands as well as did trend analysis for retailers and so in that role i kind of saw this shift in spend from products to treatments and especially amongst a much different consumer than ever before. So the spend is now 50% millennials and Gen Z, and they are using this category uh, like the new color cosmetics. So instead of going to Sephora and purchasing a lipstick, they're getting a half a syringe of filler. And so it's the new beauty blogging, Um, I also saw kind of a a lot of different market shifts, but the stigma is now finally gone in the category um, and it's become just kind of part of of, of routine maintenance. Um, So tell us, how exactly does Upkeep upkeep work? Yeah, so it's a vetted and curated platform where we source the best providers in every city. And then to the client, they actually download the mobile app and they'll see what's in their area around those four top performing categories. So the injectables, the body contour, the next gen facials, and the laser hair removal. So we're all medical aesthetics, no kind of wellness or spa. It's all the the stuff that you have to kind of, you know, I that's why I called it upkeep. So it's kind of like taking your car to the shop where <laughs> an ongoing maintenance uh, like getting serviced and and it's become uh, kind of hard to you know manage your time and and there's a platform for everything else and that was one of the the reasons I came up with it too I actually had a personal problem where I wanted a hydrofacial and I was in an uber with two colleagues and I felt this weird wall with my phone that that was the one appointment I couldn't see in my area and and I just got really kind of attached to the idea and and just started the company. And who are the providers that come onto the platform? Are they like dermatologists or Medicare spas? Yeah, so it's it's a pretty good mix because we do have such a broad client base that we not only do we like to curate in each neighborhood market of the cities we're in, but we like to have a few differing provider types to meet those different kind of consumer demands. So 
Uh, some of them are doctor-led practices. Others are those cooler, younger med spas. And we also have, um, you know, esthetician-based practices for those hydrofacials and things like that. So we really kind of behind the scenes orchestrate the magic. And then to the user, it's flat upkeep pricing. So actually they see the very limited menu and get to book it across the providers in the city they're in. So kind of a little bit similar to the psychology of Glam Squad, right? A blowout to the home where they're vetting uh, behind the scenes and matching uh, clients uh, in that way. It's so needed because like right now I have to go to my sister. And I'm like, where are you getting all of your treatment done? Like, where do I go get a hydrofacial to your point? Um, and it's hard to find these places. So is that Definitely. before before upkeep like what were you saying like how were people finding these providers was it kind of just word of mouth or just googling exactly what you said their sisters their best friend <laughs> it was definitely word of mouth and then uh you know there's it's hard to build trust in the industry because if you think about it this is a very capital intensive market as a physical provider and you're locked into the machine you buy. So if you purchase a machine for $300,000, you have to sell that to the clients, no matter whether you decide it was good or not. Um, so that's where kind of upkeep steps in as well, where we're really weeding out which pharmaceutical companies, which devices we stand behind, rather than just putting every option that's in the market on the app. And we have that flexibility to kind of daily uh, service uh, item in a machine at will, you know, within 10 minutes, and we don't lose the $300,000 uh, to cost of the machine. So that's something that we really stand behind too, is, you know, there's been so many things, and I don't know how uh, broad your depth of the market is, but there was an injectable called Quo for cellulite. And the providers really wanted me to put that on the app. And how it worked was it's an enzyme that kind of breaks down the fibers of your skin attached to your body. And cellulite happens when the fat pockets beyond that fiber. But I just thought, you know, I don't think I want to get behind that. That sounds like it would lead to sagging and, and so on. And now it's been recalled just like two months ago. So thank God I didn't uh, put it on. But it was had been like the darling of the medical aesthetic space. Like everyone was using it. It had been FDA approved um, and things like that. So I think the space is getting harder and harder to navigate with what to trust, even when things have gone through the medical clearance and, and top providers are offering them. Um, it's so true. I feel like that's such an important piece of it because from the consumer's standpoint, like, I'm like, can I trust this certain person to do these treatments on my face that I, you know, don't want ruined for forever, which is so scary. Does your team have like certain standards or like, how do you stay up to date on like research in the field and like decide who should or should not be on your platform or like what services should or should not be on the platform? Definitely. I mean, given my kind of background and like, trend analysis in general being like something that I'm so into and and obviously like just aesthetic in general I've I've been fascinated by the industry so I was kind of studying it you know a, a long time and really trying to grasp like the ins and outs but of course we do have a, a a full kind of vetting process that we go through in a 50 point checklist with providers we do get inbound nationwide from providers every day and it's majority rejection 
but there are some things that you can kind of like uh, on a on a low level uh, look out for. You know, if they're running a lot of promotions of their own, if they're listing themselves on Groupon, like there's some easy low hanging fruit that you can kind of weed out uh, the quality of the provider immediately. But then there are some things that we do a little bit more in depth as well. So I'd love to go back to when you first got the idea or upkeep how did you go from like idea to getting your first version of the platform into the market yeah well wow (laughs) (laughs) i don't think we have enough time (laughs) (laughs) but i'll try to get that in a nutshell uh because it was definitely a, a journey uh you know when i came up with the idea i was like okay this is genius it's like time of the female founder this is going to be easy. (laughs) People are going to throw money at me. (laughs) It's just going to be fabulous. Uh, But that's not what happened. So (laughs) I'm also a non-technical solo female founder. Um, So of course, I needed engineering resources to even get the ball rolling. So I did start to kind of socialize the idea. I didn't have like a big network of VCs or anyone I knew, but I was doing like cold outreach, just trying to talk to people, founders, making introductions. And pretty much, uh, you know, as a female founder, I feel like unless you have traction and revenue, you're not getting a dollar. And I found that out the hard way. (laughs) So uh, I started kind of initially bootstrapping the company a little bit, found engineers that I wanted, that I felt like aligned the project started bootstrapping a little bit. And then actually 1517 fund is the first kind of VC that believed in me before uh, I had, uh, you know, a lot of traction in the industry and then some angels uh, at that time. And I saw that you are a scholar in residence with 1517 fund. Is that correct? And could you share maybe like what that is? And, you know, did that open up angel investment or pre-seed investment from that fund? Yeah. So what that means is just that you're a portfolio founder, but it is a huge community and 1517 fund does multiple events a year and they really bring everyone together. And definitely, yeah, when you have a, uh, venture fund behind you it definitely starts opening more doors uh, to other people as well so it's, it's sometimes just about finding that first person to believe in you uh unfortunately i mean i i feel like everyone should be a first mover in their own world uh, like i don't i think it's kind of odd how the vc is structured like a lot of people prefer to follow on people don't really want to take the lead they're nervous about making the wrong decision <laughs> So I really like that about them where where they're really willing to take that uh, first step if they believe in something before anyone else. What do you think it took to get your first check from them and the angels that invested? Well, there were my very first check. I started getting a few angels before that. But I think persistence, um, you know, just on turning every stone. 1517 fund, I submitted their online form i knew no one there i i submitted a <laughs> a form which you know nine times out of ten go unread and unresponded to for sure certainly not turn into investment but i think if you know what you're building and you just stick to it you'll eventually find the right people that do align with your vision and at that point had you brought on um engineers and How did you go about finding engineering talent and without having like a software engineering background, 
how did you even vet that talent and make sure you were hiring the right person? Yeah. So I had spent, you know, I moved to San Francisco when I was 17. So I spent, uh, you know, five years in San Francisco, which is not an engineering background, but (laughs) you're exposed (laughs) to a lot of startups and like the idea of what that is. Um, And then also I had worked at a cloud solutions company before. um, And so I had managed a team of engineers uh, there, but I was more on the business development side of things and like the go to market side of things. Uh, But I felt comfortable, you know, enough with like uh, the technical uh, ideas of how, you know, products are built. And so I just started uh, interviewing engineers and it that also was you know a pretty long drawn out process so it went through a bunch of different options before i pitched the one uh ones that we we went with but they the they were actually an introduction from one of my best friends ex-husband's um cousin at a wedding <laughs> So, you know, there's no rhyme or reason sometimes. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like with uh, guidance to like entrepreneurs, like starting out, everyone's path is different. And it's just about finding that path that it is for you because it's never going to be the same. And and looking in the same place isn't necessarily going to cause the same outcome uh, for everyone. But the most important part is to just keep moving forward. That is great advice. And then so when you officially launched, did you choose like one city or one market to launch in or did you launch in multiple markets? And then how did you convince not only the providers, the first providers to come on, but also how did you find your first customers? Yeah, so our first market is Los Angeles and that's still our core market. And we stuck with that for a period of time and how we found the original providers I mean, some were kind of places that I had gone to in the past and I'd been working with the founder asking like what solution they would kind of want to see. But the other key thing to think about is before me, the only thing being offered to them to market and find new customers was Groupon. So I'm a pretty easy sell in that regard where uh, obviously we're not a discounted platform and we're vetting a, a kind of quality customer that's more concerned with their time than pricing. And so that really helps us stand out uh, to the providers as well. That's so true. And then since then, what other cities and markets have you grown into? Yeah, so we're in Orange County, San Diego, Miami, Palm Beach, New York. And we're just starting in Texas, actually. So Texas is the number one medical aesthetic revenue in the nation. So I think that'll be (laughs) a great uh, market for us, for sure. Will you be specifically Dallas or other major cities or all over the state? Yeah, Dallas, Houston, Austin, uh, the top cities. We'll start, you know, in all the top cities in in the states. But we do have satellite providers in in some kind of neighborhoods a little bit outside of the the city norms. And we'll increase that for sure um, as we scale so that we're in every area. Because this is something that has become a treatment for everyone. Like everyone's getting something in the vertical. (laughs) I'm curious to your point. So it sounds like LA is the biggest market that you have still. Mm -hmm. Um, Nailing, drilling down a little bit further, what are the most popular treatments and services that are booked on your platform? Yeah. So the injectables are number one and then the next gen facials. So the hydrofacials, Morpheus A, 
those things that are really kind of impactful um, and, and, and the Morpheus, I don't know if you've heard of that one, but it's like radio frequency and microneedling and it li kind of lifts and tightens the whole face. So there are a lot of machines that have come into the market now that can do the things that only surgery could do in the past. So that's what's opening the doors to that younger consumer set as well, because you don't have to go under anesthesia. And, and that's a little bit of a like, when, oh, now looking back at it, right, it's like kind of scary to think about like going under the knife is like such an odd concept, especially for aesthetic reasons. So it's definitely great that these robots are learning how to do some of that without <laughs> actually cutting into people. <laughs> yes, definitely too scared to do. <laughs> Anything like that, but I personally considered the Morpheus 8. Um, but then I think I decided it was a little too expensive for me right now, but I would well, like to try gonna it. we're going to get you a code and okay. you're going to get on the train. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. It looks amazing. Um, and then any like trends that you see coming up in like the next month few months or next years yeah i mean i think within the next years i think the number one trend in medical aesthetics right now so i think we kind of where we were at in the industry right is more external so the botox and fillers um facials and now we're kind of moving internal so some of that stuff is longevity based some of that is weight loss the ozempic ozempic and semi-glutide is obviously having a huge moment where you know, our providers are offering it and they want it, this type of thing on that. But again, it's just something that I can't quite get behind until it becomes a little bit more standardized and becomes more of that line item like the Botox is where that's become more of like a mani-pedi or a blowout where it's not a low risk procedure. There are enough trained and vetted people in the market. It's on a standardized pricing and cadence. So once some of that stuff reaches uh, that level, we will kind of get into that as well. I mean, it's it's kind of fascinating to watch this transition where these like traditionally aesthetic practices are now offering the peptide shots and all these kind of things that are, are really trending. Um, and I think it's just kind of cool to think about like where we started, like the Egyptians putting coal on their eyes, so, like body modification and like what that means today. Like we're getting so advanced. It's like, just kind of interesting to watch all that play out. And and I do think that we'll be able to slow aging pretty dramatically pretty soon. Me and you might miss it, but <laughs> if we do have children, or I don't know if you do, I don't, but <laughs> if we do have children, maybe they'll participate in that. Crazy. All the new technology. Pretty amazing. I hope we get to participate in it. Yeah. You want to live forever? <laughs> Not live. Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. That's a whole different discussion. I don't know about that. Let's dive into that because I'm not <laughs> yeah. so sure. I'd go Maybe. to like 150. But... Yeah. I don't know how old I would like to live. 100 would be nice just to hit the 100. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all pretty much going on the track for 100, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I'm going to so start talked... microdosing Ozempic. <laughs> oh, God. So we talked a little bit about how you convinced the first providers and providers to come onto the platform, but how have you grown more so like the consumer base, like are using influencer marketing, like what have been your most effective strategies? Yeah, definitely TikTok influencer marketing. So we started the TikTok channel before we ever launched and started just gathering up interested users and even filming treatments uh, in this space. And I think 
content marketing is definitely, you know, the new advertising. So that again, with the trend analysis is something that I already kind of knew and wanted to do. So I'd say on the consumer side of things, definitely social media, but also community activations. I think those are really good ways to access a, a kind of like-minded consumer, especially if you align with a brand or a, a place that, or an event that is the similar consumer to you. I think that's a great way to access people that are really going to enjoy your brand as well. Were you running and launching the TikTok yourself or is that something? I was, you... yes. <laughs> Amazing. I filmed everything for a long, t- for a long time. <laughs> how did you learn how to do that? Just like dove in and trial taught yourself? and error, trial yeah. and error. I was like a Initially, it was like a pandemic project where like I had a friend who was like, oh, the TikTok's so fun. And so I was like trialing it out um, as a user. Like, and then I was like, okay, like this is cool. And then I was like, okay, as the brand, I need to like get into this. Very smart. I feel like it's it's effective. I hope we don't lose it, but we'll see what happens. I know. Oh my gosh. I'm like, <laughs> what will we do? We'll have to shift everything to YouTube. <laughs> I know. I mean, I guess that's the next best platform. I mean, Uh, honestly, though, if TikTok gets banned, there will be riots in the streets. There's no way. I I can only imagine what will happen. I think there will be riots, too. I might be out there rioting myself. Teens will be tying themselves to the White House. They don't want that. They definitely don't want that. Um, (laughs) To your point of communities, what can you share examples of like communities or brands that you've partnered with and, you know, maybe why you chose them to partner with yeah so alfred coffee in la um that sound like a surprising pick but actually is like a completely overlapping demographic they're in melrose place in west hollywood and so uh, a client that you know is spending nine dollars on a latte also i uh, can spend on lip filler and these other treatments so we've done a f- couple things with them and we're doing a- another in may but that's always really successful so it could be something like out of the box it doesn't always have to be something um that's even like an advertising platform you can even just approach brands or, or people that you think overlap and, and figure something out together too um, love Alfred's Coffee. I live very close to the one in Venice on Abbot Kinney. Nice. And I'm definitely guilty of buying my $9 okay. latte. So my dream that. is to do an Erewhon smoothie and upkeep Erewhon smoothie. So yes. I'll let you know when I finally accomplish it. Uh, I think it's a hard team to crack into because they're so busy. I think there was a huge line outside of their Culver City opening i heard which is so funny like people are lining up to go to the grocery store and the more they raise the prices the more the people want it <laughs> wait first of all i did not know that they opened a culver city location so that yeah, is news ju- to I me think just last week i think just wow last week. and also yeah. yeah people are loyal to that brand like they sell out all of their Die merch, like, immediately <laughs> online it's the craziest I have two thing the sweaters i mean <laughs> I love Erewhon. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, amazing. And then would love to talk. Don't you think, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting again, but don't you think it's like kind of cool like that I feel like the customer is like seeking value now over um, like cheap in, in a way. Like it's like people are like much more conscious about like the quality behind the things they purchase and just and in the community, I'm like, they want to be kind of part of a movement. But like, I think it's great because I mean, like, even just manufacturing like color cosmetics and skincare for like the traditional big brands, it's like, it's manufactured so poorly, there's toxic chemicals in it, and just no one really cared. 
Um, and now it's like these new real indie brands doing like clean beauty. And, and it's just like great to see the consumers finally like waking up to like what they're purchasing, that it is ingested by the body, whether it's skincare, clothing, anything, uh, and making a little bit better decisions, even if it is something that costs a little bit of a premium. Definitely. I personally would definitely rather pay a premium for something that is good for my body, good for my skin. So I am 100% in that demographic for sure. Say I have some ideas for this new age government where the customer gets to kind of vote on where we put venture dollars and we get like a subsidy to certain projects. <laughs> like upkeep, you know, we could get some government grants like and it just lowers the price for everyone and it's like voted on by the democracy. So <laughs> you get Very three cool, projects yeah. a year. <laughs> I love that. I'd sign up if I could. Um, yeah. Okay. Since you brought up venture capital and funding, you brought me to my next question, which I was already had teed up, but perfect transition. Can you share, I know we talked a little bit about like your first checks that you brought in for the company. Can you share just a little bit about, around your pre-seed and your seed rounds of financing? You know, how much did you raise at each of those? Um, what were like some of the different milestones you had to hit to like get to each of those rounds just anything that you think might be helpful for someone that's maybe going out to raise one of those rounds yeah so originally with 1517 and the angels it was kind of this pre-seed friends and family uh just taking in whatever to get the product into the market and so that then kind of like rolled into the bigger round so i raised two million in total uh with 1517 fun night ventures and anthemus and now I'm actually fundraising again right now. So uh, that's going, you know, a lot easier now that I feel like the the market is kind of being more aware of. And there's a lot of the pharmaceutical companies that have IPO'd, the medical aesthetic device companies have IPO'd. So it's definitely seeming like people are waking up to the size of the market and the industry in a much different way than when I started. But as far as uh, the benchmarks that people are looking for, I would say for female founders, it's much different than for male founders, for sure. <laughs> I think with female founders, uh, they want, you know, for you to be um, in market, in revenue. Uh, and then, of course, the classics, the retention and a certain growth rate over a period of time that looks like is tracking to these formulas that they've come up with that they say, you know, fit every company. Sometimes I feel like raising venture dollars has nothing to do with building and scaling a company, but we all have to do it. Yes. Unfortunately, we, all, we have to do it. We have to get through it together. Well, first of all, this is a great time to shout out Emily Herrera from, from Night Ventures because she introed us. So that's very cool that she's invested and her team's invested into upkeep. For some of those like metrics that you mentioned, like how do you inform yourself and get educated on like what investors are looking for and like what the standards are? Is that like talking to some of your earlier investors for guidance and or is that just, you know, doing your own research and would be curious to know how you update yourself on yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's like such an important topic. 
And the world of venture capital is people that worked in investment banking, people that are in finance, and they already had this playbook and plan and, and rules and things that they see as, you know, an overlay that they're, they're analyzing you through this lens. And as a founder, definitely given my background, I was never exposed to any of that kind of thing. So you're just kind of thrown into it and never really told anything by anyone. And you have to learn it, you know, as you go uh, on a con from CRV actually accepted me into an incubator that she does called launch X and that's for female founders and it teaches them how to fundraise. So that was very helpful for me to kind of get a little bit of the behind the scenes of what venture capital is and start learning uh, some of the formulas that they're looking for. But I think honestly, it just takes time. You can never learn it all at once. It's like learning a new language. It's definitely something that you have an extreme advantage if you went to school for the right uh, topics and <laughs> had a more traditional background or have any type of background in, in finance for sure. Kind of along those lines. How have you gone about like making a network with venture capitalists and getting interest to like the right investors that, you know, would actually be great investors for your company? And also, how do you think about who are the right investors for upkeep? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, there are a lot of uh, actually said no to, which is uh, as a, a solo female founder sounds insane because <laughs> that there's already way less dollars. And of that 1.9% of f funds that go to female founders, that includes everyone that went to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, and I didn't do any of those things either. So but, you know, it's, it's just about like thinking about why you're doing the company. You know, if it was if it was not to have my own kind of decision making and to be, you know, working for people that I don't necessarily vibe with or or want to be uh, in a close relationship for many years on end, you really have to think about that before you take a check, because uh, that is what that means. And so it's just about being willing to say like, okay, if this is what ends up then making the company not work out, like that was meant to be because I have to say no to this person and just standing behind the belief that, uh, you know, everything is happening for a reason. And that was something that took me a very long time to <laughs> learn in my personal life, for sure. Uh, some things that helped me with that is meditating every morning uh, I've been doing that now for three years straight. So that really helped put that perspective where I start the day, like remembering that if someone doesn't want to work with me or it's not the right fit and I need to say no to them, that like, that's okay. And like, even if I can't see that future or I don't know if things are going to pan out in my favor, I have to just believe that it, it will be and have that faith in, in it. It's so true. Everything happens for a reason. And I feel like that is one of the best mottos to live by. I definitely live by that one. And then as we start to wrap things up, anything exciting coming up for the business that you want to share here? Yeah, so we already have a firm which enables bite-sized payments. And then we are turning that into upkeep pay. So that'll be like different marketplace kind of options around like a wedding package, for example, where we not only put you on a timeline, but you get to do it as a monthly payment plan instead of 
the 20,000 up front that it would be, or, you know, your favorite blogger putting out their own uh, marketplace items, and then that also on a timeline and a monthly plan. So we have a lot of different financial enablement pieces that are kind of come out, even as simple as splitting uh, treatment between two credit cards. Because like you said, these things are very expensive. So that's something that we uh, are building all, all sorts of things around. And and if you think about the Morpheus 8, like those results last a year. So you should be paying over a period of time rather than paying for it up front. So that's something I'm excited. Uh, and we're going to start putting a lot more out around. Um, I literally just got married and I needed this wedding plan before. There you go. Which is why I was you looking at everything. <laughs> You'll very, have to get married exciting. again. <laughs> yes. uh, maybe not, but. Yeah. Um, uh, and then well, where. Well, if you do, we'll be there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. You can do. Okay. You can do a 20 year anniversary, like body glow up package. Love that. <laughs> love that. Yes. Yes. For him and hers. Like, yes. We'll make something cool for the long-term couples too. Yeah. How about a one-year <laughs> one year anniversary? With... <laughs> okay, fine. We can do, actually, that's a great idea. Like, it, remember it used to be like silver on your golden anniversary. You buy her diamonds on, like yes. in the 50s, there were like rules. This could be the new age version of like yes. that. Like on the first anniversary, she gets just a hydrofacial and an insculpnia. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm all Love in for it. that. <laughs> Love it. Amazing. And then my favorite question, can you share a female founder, investor, or leader that inspires you and a little bit about why? Yeah, I'd say Danielle Strachman from 1517 Fund. She's the partner there. And she's just such an example of self-agency to her core and kind of just breaking that mold in every direction of what uh, a female uh can accomplish and especially uh, not coming from maybe the more traditional backgrounds that we were discussing and she really kind of leads the way uh, and is also just so empathetic at the same time so I think she's also a great example of being powerful and empathetic which I think we kind of are are missing uh, respecting like the more feminine traits of leadership. And I'm hoping that becomes a signal of something positive in the future and everything can move a little bit more towards, you know, the intuitive versus the <laughs> cold, hard calculating formulas. <laughs> I could not agree more with that. Thank you so much for sharing. And then Finally, where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find Upkeep? Yeah, so our social handles are at Upkeep Beauty. And then our website is upkeepbeauty.com. And you can download the Upkeep app in the iOS store as well. You just search Upkeep and we're soon to launch an Android app as well. Amazing. Well, I will make sure to link all of those things in the podcast details. I'm personally very excited to sign up and it was just so much fun meeting you today. And I appreciate your time coming onto the show. Amazing. I had so much fun as well. Looking forward to the future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Future is Female. As always, if you're a fan of the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll talk to you next time.